Got a question for you, brothers and sisters. Thank you, sir. Would you like to have more faith? Okay, think about that just a little bit. It's not the same as asking, would you like to have more money or more, you know, you fill in the blank. Would you like to have more faith? Along that line comes another question. Well, how much faith do I have to start with? If you were to uh, measure your faith on a scale from 1 to 10, you know, or 0 to 10, 0 being a person with zero faith whatsoever, and 10 being you know, Jesus-like faith, how would you measure yourself and your own faith? Would it be a 3? Would it be an 8? 2.7? Would you like to have more faith? If Jesus were here today to, to hand out faith like $20 bills, would you not want in on some of that? Do, do we not want more faith? Do you ever think about that in your own life? You ever driving down the road thinking, man, I just wish I had more faith. I have to confess, sometimes instead of having more faith, I just want all my problems out there to be solved. If all my problems were solved, then I don't need faith, right? These apostles come up to Jesus in Luke chapter 17, verse 5, which is where the lectionary text has landed us for the day. And they say, Lord, increase our faith. Make it larger. What are they asking for when they ask that? Are they sincere? Do they just want more faith and, and do they want that faith so that they can do God's work? Or are they trying to do something different with that faith? Is it possible they want power to do great and spectacular things? Or maybe like us who are reading through the book of Luke and Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It just feels like Jesus is always a step ahead. And it's just hard to keep up with him, isn't it? I know that as I preach through this text, it feels that way sometimes. Like, man, Jesus, you're just working me, you're working me over. You're wearing me out here. Give me some faith so I can keep up. This is the fifth time in the Gospel of Luke where faith is mentioned. The first time... There are some men who have a paralytic friend, and they couldn't get to Jesus because there was such a great crowd around him. And so Jesus is in a house, so they, they go up on the roof, and they pull, kind of take apart the roof, and they lower this friend down. And Jesus sees their faith, and he heals the paralytic man. The second example is a Roman officer, not an Israelite, but one of those foreigners. And this Roman officer has a servant. And the Roman officer sends for Jesus to come. And Jesus is on his way. And the Roman officer sends another uh, messenger, says, hey, you don't have to come. I, I'm, I'm someone in charge of a lot of people. If I tell them to do things, I know they're going to do it. If you would just simply say the words, and I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus says... I haven't even found faith like this in Israel. And so the, servant, the messenger returns and the servant is healed. What great faith. And then there's this sinful woman who barges into this 
meal that Jesus is having in a Pharisee's house, and she starts anointing his feet, and she's crying, and she's repenting, and she's just worshiping Jesus, basically. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. And then there's that time when there was a bleeding woman who Jesus is on his way to to heal somebody very important, and this woman reaches out and touches his robe. And Jesus stops. He's like, somebody touched me. Who, Who touched me? He looks around, and here this woman is, and she had been healed in the moment that she touched him. But Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Of the five instances where Luke has talked about faith, we have these four, the friends of a, a lame man, the slave or the servant of a Roman, a sinful woman, and a woman who is ceremonially unclean. These were all people who were considered to be on the fringe, outsiders, not really insiders as the way that things had come to be in the life of Israel. And Jesus was taking it and turning it on its head. There is one part where faith and the disciples come into play. That's when the disciples are in a boat with Jesus, and Jesus is asleep in the boat, getting him some shut-eye. There's this storm comes on the Sea of Galilee, a sudden storm, and they're all kind of freaking out. Jesus, help us. We're going to drown. We're going to die. Help us out here. Jesus kind of wakes up, calms the storm, says, hey, where's your faith? Like, no big deal, right? So this only negative use of the word faith here is in the disciples. All those outsiders seem to have lots of faith, and they're doing these bold things on their own behalf or on behalf of somebody that they know. They're they're breaking through barriers to get to Jesus, and Jesus is saying, now that is faith. We have again and again and again this strange reversal the things of the inside on the out and the outside on the end. So Jesus had, the disciples have seen Jesus praise everybody else for their faith. And I think they knew, walking down the road following Jesus, we don't really have the kind of faith that we want to have. Lord, increase our faith. Jesus says to them, well, you know, if you have faith as Tiny as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted into the sea. Well, that'd be pretty cool. So what's Jesus really saying here? Is he saying, you guys, your, your faith level is, is on a scale from 0 to 10, it's point zero 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 one. Is that what Jesus is saying? If your faith was just that big... And it's not even that big. I think as I stare at this text longer, Jesus is saying something else. He's not simply getting on to the disciples for having too little of faith. I think he's saying that it's not so much the size of faith that matters. It's the God of your faith that matters. All you need is mustard seed sized faith and a really big God. It's funny, we're talking about seeds today. Seeds get planted. Seeds, seeds are tiny. They're humble. They're seemingly insignificant. You plant a seed in the ground, and you nurture that seed, and it becomes something great. 
I think we planted a seed right here in some ways. This little girl's mother and dad, they're going to be planting lots of seeds in her life and nurturing that so that she will grow up to be someone strong in her faith. But the seeds themselves are very humble, aren't they? It's possible these disciples wanted to be someone great with their faith. And Jesus is saying, look, all you need is this. You don't need to be someone spectacular. You just need simple faith. But Jesus then goes on to tell a parable, one that everybody in that day, this analogy, they would have understood. He says, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Well, this is a strange thing to put after faith, isn't it? Why would Jesus talk about faith and then switch over here to being like a servant? What's this parable all about? Well, perhaps we could look at it another way. Suppose we'll take patience, for example. It's just an easier example. Who wants to have more patience? Raise your hand. Is this a trick question? Some of you are like, I don't know about this. Do we want more patience? Sometimes I think I, I need more patience in my life. Okay, I'll just be the first to confess that. But what I really want is just everything in my life that requires patience to go away. That's the selfish part of me. Okay, God, I don't really want to be patient I just don't want any situations where patience is necessary. That's what I really want. But if I can't get that, I guess I'll take patience. Well, how's God going to give me patience? Is he going to sprinkle a little patience fairy dust on me, and all of a sudden I'm magically patient? I think patience comes a little harder, doesn't it? If I ask God for patience, there's a good chance that God will simply give me situations in my life that will grow my patience. He will allow things to happen in my life that require me to exercise the muscle of patience. I think in the same way, when we ask God to increase our faith, He's going to give us situations or allow situations in our life to stretch us to become people of greater faith. If you want faith to increase, then we have to be in situations where it increases. Situations where we might have to, I don't know, obey, like a servant would, to say, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll love who you tell me to love for the sake of your kingdom. The servant doesn't say, Look at all of what I have done. You owe me big time, boss. Does he? That's what Jesus is saying. Is the servant is simply doing what he was supposed to be doing all along. Faith by nature is the same way. Faith doesn't say, look what I did. It's not faith then. It's something else. It's, it's works. By definition, faith cannot really be focused on itself. 
By definition, if, if we're sitting there thinking, yeah, my faith is an 8 out of 10, then, then we're not talking about faith anymore. You know, I think we struggle with this sometimes. To, to say, look how big my faith is, the size of a mustard seed. How great is this faith? There's an irony there, isn't it? And yet we struggle with faith. And I think it's okay to do that. There's a situation and we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and that situation doesn't turn out the way that we wanted it to. And we're stuck with the reality that faith is not like the lamp that you rub and the genie comes out and says, hey, I'll give you whatever you want. Sometimes we might even say, well, I guess that happened because I didn't have enough faith or I didn't pray enough or I didn't pray hard enough. These are all real questions we probably all ask at some point or another in our lives. And I don't want to short any of our, us to confess, God, I haven't prayed enough. I know there are times when I need to pray, say, Lord, I haven't prayed enough and I haven't prayed fervent enough. But at the end of the day, if the focus is on my prayers, then that's not faith. That's just me trying to manipulate God to do what I want Him to do. After all, we are worshiping a Savior who died on a cross. And that Savior asked, Lord, if it is possible in any way, can you get me out of this? Jesus has great faith, and yet Jesus knows that that doesn't mean that His Father is going to just give Him every single thing that He wants. Somewhere in there, Jesus comes to the place of not my will, but your will be done. And that's where faith and obedience come together. With faith comes the opportunity for obedience. With obedience comes the opportunity for faith. Are we willing to be obedient? The degree that you and I are willing to be obedient to God is the degree that we really want more faith. And so that might be the, the more honest question to ask. Faith was never meant to be self-serving only. It's about serving in the kingdom of God, like an unworthy servant, like someone who is fully giving themselves away. In Jesus' day, a master would not say thank you to the servant because in today we say thank you to one another. It's a polite thing to do. If, if you tell somebody who you're in charge of, would you do this for me? And they do it. You say, well, thank you. In this day and age to say thank you means that the master would owe the servant something. Jesus says we are to be like those people who know God doesn't owe us anything. We can never put God in our debt. Wasn't that the mentality of the older brother in the prodigal son's story just a couple chapters back? Steaming, looking at his father. He says, all these years I've been working like a slave for you and you've never given me anything to celebrate with my friend. Not even a goat to celebrate with my friends. And the father says, son, son, all that I have is yours. It is only right that we celebrate that this younger brother of yours comes home. 
So being a servant to God, knowing that God owes us nothing. At first, it kind of feels like a burden, but if you see it through the eyes of faith, it becomes this great freedom that we are joyful servants in the house of God. There's another place in the Bible that talks a lot about faith. It's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives a list of all these people throughout the history of the Bible that have great faith. You know what it doesn't say? You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, and -and so-and-so had faith, and therefore they got everything they wanted. And -and so-and-so had faith, and therefore they won the lottery. So-and-so had faith, and therefore God just gave them a very comfortable life. It's not what it says. It says, so-and-so had faith. And therefore, they could see the promise of God so much so that they were willing to give up even their very life. That's what it says. Faith isn't about us getting more stuff in our life here and now. Faith is about seeing the bigger picture of what God has been doing, what Jesus is doing right here, and what God is doing in our lives. So when you and I ask for God to give us faith, What we're asking for is for God to show us His kingdom. For God to show us His reality. And how that kingdom and that reality matches up against our world. It doesn't mean everything in our world is going to get done. You can pray for it. God's okay with you asking. But it means that God wants to show us all the bigger picture. And we believe in a God with a bigger picture, don't we? We believe in a God who came and gave his own life on a cross. But there's a bigger picture than that, isn't there? That's not the end of the story. And the things that don't happen in our lives are the end of our story either. Because God has promised us something greater. He's promised us life, eternal life. The life beyond this world that we live in. You know, Jesus going around healing people, seeing their faith. These were signs. Jesus did not heal everybody, did he? He says there are people who need to be healed. He, he moved on to the next town. He, he left room for extra healing to be done. But he did do these as a sign of this thing called the kingdom. And what do signs do? Signs don't have really much power in and of themselves. Think of a stop sign. You see a stop sign. The stop sign doesn't jump out in the middle of the road and make you stop your car, does it? No, the sign points to something greater than itself, like some kind of law, some kind of rules in our society, some kind of order. In the same way, these miracles of Jesus are pointing to a world that's much greater than the world we live in. Finally, let's go into this unworthy servant's business. You know, part of the gospel is helping people to understand their worth and value. So when we get to this passage and we see, oh, you're just supposed to be an unworthy little, little servant. That's what I want to tell my kids when they don't clean their room. You know, hey, just get in their room and clean it, right? Do it. But notice that Jesus is talking to his apostles here. 
He's talking to his inner group of disciples. Once you are on the, the, the receiving end of the kingdom of God, you begin to realize that the key to the kingdom is to serve, to give yourself away, to let go of your life, to love it less than you love Jesus, the gospel, and the kingdom. And the more that this faith grows, the more surrendered one becomes. Surrendered with our reputation, our time, our energy, even our money. The things we hold on to for life. The things that give us a sense of security and control and comfort and status in life. That the more we see the kingdom of God, the more we release the things that we hang on to in this world. Things that when they're threatened to be removed from us cause us great anxiety. But this is what Jesus has been saying all along on this road to Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke. Things like let go of your life. Things like your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Things like you cannot serve God and wealth. So let me ask you, do you want more faith? May God give us the grace to be His servants and to see His kingdom. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we realize that it does seem like our faith is ineffective sometimes. But Lord, instead of beating ourselves up over it, we just ask that you would show us the way. We ask that you would show us the bigger picture. Lord, just give us mustard seed faith, not spectacular faith, not signs and wonders faith, but simply mustard seed faith. And give us a grace to obey you and to trust you in whatever it is that you're calling each of us to do in our lives. Help us to be a people who seek your heart, who trust in you, and who long to hear your voice. We take our lives and we place them, Lord, within your larger world and your larger story. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.